Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we talk favorite hero movies and explore a new app. We also get into Netflix's fantasy series Lock and Key. It's time for a top three turf war. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is enormous. Now we have new series. We have over 24, 26 movies, something crazy like that. And we wanted to do something different for a MCU celebration. We are going to do the best movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe heroes that are not MCU movies. It was incredibly intimidating to even like start to think about what movies I was going to select. Was this really easy for you? The first three, really easy. Like my top three was really easy, but I had so much fun picking them that like I went through every hero in the MCU and I was like, what's their best movie? What's my favorite movie of theirs? So just so you're aware, you can't choose like John Favreau is happy or Natalie Portman as Jane. Like th- that's they're not the heroes of the movie. But you yeah, can it's go It's got to be like a hero. Yeah, like, it's got to be a hero. So it can be any of the Guardians of the Galaxy actors. It can be Scarlett Johansson who has like an incredible filmography. It could mm-hmm. be Paul Rudd dating all the way back to Clueless if you want or even before. Yeah, can't do a sidekick. You can't do a side character. It's got to be a hero. Ivana, kick us off. My number three choice is Florence Pugh, who I'm not sure if you would count her, but I would count her, and, and Midsommar. Okay. I I think we count her. She kind of stole the film. She's definitely a Black Widow. She is. Yeah. She, she's definitely a hero in the film. She's not really a side character like Happy or Aunt May or something or Mary Jane. She is no, like a legit, like legit hero. I think so. And why Midsummer? Out of all of her roles, why Midsummer? That movie is so sticky and creepy and bright, and it feels weirdly subversive to see such a bright horror film, especially one that is like capable of affecting you so much. And the ending with her and her face kind of like in the middle of the screen, she really steals that movie. And there is just something really special about Midsommar. I think it's one of the most cool and inventive takes on horror and hard to to do something really new in that genre because there's so much and everyone's looking to do something new but I think the world was surprised with Midsommar and I think it's going to be one of the cult classics that you're going to be teaching about in film classes. I really liked Midsommar like I I think that film is going to stand the test of time it might Well, it's definitely my favorite Ari Aster film. Me too. And I I agree with you. I think the fact that this horror doesn't necessarily feel like a horror, but it is ominous and it's all shot in daylight. It's it's a fascinating film. 
I always take more away from it every time I go. So I like that first one on your list. That's a good one. What about you? All right. So mine, we're going to dive into Chris Pratt, who obviously is Star-Lord. My favorite movie with Chris Pratt in it at all is Moneyball. Oh, good film. So obviously everybody's like, oh, wait, Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill. But Moneyball also stars Chris Pratt as the catcher who has moved from catcher to first base. He has a really important storyline. He is the the heart of the film at the at the crux of the Oakland A's winning streak. He smacks that that home run, and I I absolutely love Moneyball. I think I've seen it like seven times. How can you not be a romantic about baseball? It's it's such a lovely film that I I think I'll watch till the day I die. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Are you a baseball fan, like in real life? Okay, so I am not like a sports fan at all in real life. However, out of all of the sports to play, baseball is one of my favorite sports to play. My favorite sport to play, period, is beach volleyball. Like, I love beach volleyball. Baseball is second, and I love playing outfield, and I love batting, and I love running, and I love how long the game can go and all the ups and downs. I love playing baseball or softball, but I don't really follow any sport religiously. Okay. Okay. I generally hate playing all sports too much pressure. I also hate watching all sports, but I love a good sports movie. Oh, there's something about that genre. It is so good. It gets you so pumped up. Watching sports on film is so fun. I agree. And I think baseball is the easiest or most cinematic to film. Enormous wide shots in a diamond looks cool. And I, I don't know. There's anything can happen. There's nine innings. My favorite sport for film might be... Football. Football. Yeah. I think that's my second favorite. There's so much fun things you can do with like trick plays and silliness on the field. I'm down with that. All right. What's your number two? Who's the actor? What's the film? My number two is Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. He's never the biggest in any film, like not massive, massive, but like across the MCU, I'd say he's pretty damn important. He's huge. He's so Huge. huge. And the movie is Pulp Fiction. Honestly, that film is a masterpiece. We've talked about it, I think, somewhat recently. Tarantino is brilliant, and it's his best or maybe his second best. It's up there, though. I was watching The Harder They Fall, which is a new Netflix film by a couple of directors called The Bullets. And Mm -hmm. the emphasis on how much they're taking from Tarantino and how much they're taking from specifically like Pulp Fiction and Django and specifically the dialogue. Those are my favorites. I know there's tons of influential directors, but you know, when you're watching somebody who loves Tarantino, when they put the, that dialogue in the film and there is no dialogue better than, you know, the Royale with cheese kind of dialogue 
that is yep. happening when Travolta and Jackson are rolling down. They're talking about I don't eat I don't eat pig. What about dog? Dog's a filthy animal. Like all of that is so good, so so good. It's almost like writing poetry and then figuring out how to make it a movie. Wow, you're totally right. He is extremely poetic. Extremely poetic. And and Pulp Fiction, I would agree, is his most poetic film. What about you? Well, see, I don't know if we're going to get any crossover at all in these films, but here is our first crossover with an actor. My favorite Samuel L. Jackson movie is Jurassic Park. We're going to Steven Spielberg. He plays Hold On To Your Butts, the, the guy who gets eaten by raptors off scene, off camera, and, and scares the crap out of Laura Dern with just the, the thud of his arm. But he plays a huge role in trying to get the park back on when Nedry screws everything up. And, you know, he is one of those, like, six main characters who are adults playing this movie all the way through. And I... I love the hell out of Jurassic Park. I've recently watched Jurassic Park again. I think, uh, oh, I don't know if I told you this. I was watching Jurassic Park on a projector in my in-law's garage on like a giant screen that I got from Becky for our anniversary. Now, with that said, the scene where we first reveal the brontosaurus or the brachiosaurus, the giant dinosaur, the first time we see a dinosaur I started to cry knowing that cinema changed in that moment, knowing that when like critics or filmmakers were in their seats watching that for the first time, they knew we are not going back. This is the future of special effects. This is this is going to change everything. And it has. Look at like the freaking Mandalorian where now sets are virtual. Like it's unreal. And I. I wept. I cried watching a dinosaur for the first time, which was probably my 18th time watching that film. What astounds me is how good the effects still look. They look amazing. They look so good. You would so think good. that they would look kind of cheesy, but they don't. That movie was made in the 90s. And it's because they decided they were going to do practical, but also the CGI layer. And yes. too many people That's forget. That's the magic. Yeah, too many people forget. You still got to go practical. You still got to go practical. It's so true because when movies look too cartoonish, I don't know. I can't forgive that. Like, it just takes me right out. I know I'm supposed to suspend my disbelief, but when it looks like a human on a cartoon backdrop, I can't take it seriously anymore. Neither can I. I you know what? I didn't even really really like this film, but I got to give props to Dune. It never looked like a cartoon. Never. That movie was beautiful. Yeah. Never looked like a cartoon. Not my favorite movie of the year. I know it's a lot of people on a lot of people's list. It did not like do it for me the way that I know it did for some. But at no point does that film look like a cartoon. And there's so many things that could have looked mm-hmm. completely bizarre. Sandworms, for God's sakes, could have looked terrible. They look great. Number one, Ivana, with a bullet, what is it? Scarlett Johansson, of course. I feel like she is the queen of Marvel. I would like to make a prediction. Oh, yeah. You know what it is. All right. (laughs) It's not Marriage Story, even though you love that film. True. It's not Under the Skin, because I don't think we've ever talked about Under the Skin. I think 
This is a Taika Waititi film? Oh, yeah. Oh, hit us. Hit us with it. Jojo Rabbit. Absolutely. I mean, come on. I I love Jojo Rabbit so much. I was just watching a little interview with Taika Waititi. He didn't do research on Hitler to prepare for the role of Hitler because he never wanted to be Hitler. He was an imagination of Hitler. And I thought that was great. And I think he's great. And Scarlet in that film is the heart and soul of that film. Mm-hmm. Ah, you know what? I applaud you. That is fantastic. Can I guess what yours is? Of course you can guess. Yeah, I think you'll get it. I would go with Mark Ruffalo. Okay. And I would go with uh, Spotlight. Look at this. It's like we've been friends for over 10 years. Yes, (laughs) Mark Ruffalo, Spotlight. Mark Ruffalo obviously being the Incredible Hulk and Spotlight being the journalism film that shone a light on the Catholic Church and the... Uh, sexual assaults in 2001 holy moly what a film that movie was beautiful yeah i watched that movie at least once a year if not more and it's around winter time right like around this time of year you rewatch i'll watch it anytime the score is incredible i i don't know how so it's tom mccarthy is the director of this film i don't understand how he pulled off this film and has not done anything that's like really chatterworthy since or before. That's the part that boggles my mind. This is guy who hit a home run of an Oscar winner and really has not done a whole lot since. And I find it amazing that this film that has captured me this much, I can't say like amazing glowing things about the director. I can't. I'm blown away by the skill and the restraint of Spotlight. And he he has not been able to like replicate this anywhere else. He has a new film coming out. I'm fingers crossed on it because I would like to see a success story for him again. But I love this film. Oh, my God. He has a story by credit on Up. Uh, That's right. Yes. That is also very impressive. Well, is it though? Or is it the first 10 minutes really impressive? Which part did he work on? Did he work on that part? Or did he work (laughs) on the part with the dodo bird? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, fair enough. (laughs) Anyway, we have our work cut out for us because now we've got to figure out how to do a top three turf war. Holy moly. How are we going to do this? This time we have amazing films. Amazing films. No crossover. Obviously, Spotlight and Jojo Rabbit will find their way in. Absolutely. And Samuel Jackson, Pulp Fiction or Jurassic Park. This is going to be tough. You can argue that Jurassic Park changed everything because it did for blockbuster films. Pulp Fiction changed everything for independent films. Exactly. Like both films are like historically massive. They're both directors that are prolific. It's really like a head to head that's, I feel like, almost impossible. Look, I mean, we've talked about it before. Spielberg, like his catalog is nowhere near the quality of catalog that is Tarantino, like just as a whole. That is how I feel. But then I also feel like Spielberg has the reputation of being like, the best director of all directors. Well, he's like, when people think of basketball, they think of Michael Jordan. 
or they think of mm-hmm. LeBron James. When people think of directors, they think Steven Spielberg. He was my favorite director for a really, really long time. But it, the quality after Munich has gone so awkwardly up and down and not consistent at all that I, I would say at least But this was Quentin his heyday. Is, I know, but but Quentin is, is – here's the thing about Spielberg, about Jurassic Park. He also made in the same year Schindler's freaking list. I don't know how he did this. I don't, I don't understand how you make Jurassic Park – one of the most successful blockbusters of all time, and Schindler's List, one of the most important, historically beautiful films of all time, both which I watch every year, regardless of like anything else. 1993, those are the two films I watch every single year. Pulp Fiction, though, you got Tarantino. This is the height. I think this is his best film. Like I, I, I would argue that Jurassic Park may not be Spielberg's best film. Schindler's List is Spielberg's best film. I agree. Schindler's List is Spielberg's best film. For sure. Well, but then there's Jaws. But then there's Jaws. Quentin, because Quentin, you could argue, I would say, yeah, maybe Pulp Fiction or Django. I mean, it's between those two for me. Okay, so let's take it back the way we should, which is what does our audience want to see on this list? I would bet dollars to donuts everybody's seen Jurassic Park. So why don't we remove Jurassic Park and we stick Pulp Fiction in that number three spot? Because if you missed it, if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, if you, for whatever reason, were like, well, you know, Tarantino doesn't always do it for me. You got to still see Pulp Fiction and you got to see how impressive uh, that is. So I would say Pulp Fiction has to be number three. And then we have Spotlight and Jojo Rabbit. Fairly newer films. Obviously, they have to be because our list is... MCU heroes and they're all newer people. <sighs> okay. I'm okay with giving it to Spotlight. I think Jojo Rabbit is a little too quirky to be mainstream, but Spotlight is not. You know what I mean? Right. Spotlight is definitely not quirky. It's it's very linear, very matter of fact, a very eye-opening. I think it's the more mature film and I think Jojo Rabbit is a little bit more niche. And I think for that reason, Spotlight just feels like a bit more like a film school study. And Jojo Rabbit is like the cult film that film school students love while studying Spotlight. Okay, I love it. Okay, so I think we've got an order. This is beautiful. And and if you haven't seen any of these films, you really have to do yourself a service. You know, we didn't these go too far movies. down the rabbit hole, but we might with our honorable mention. So here we go. Let's count this down. Number three, Pulp Fiction. Number two, Jojo Rabbit. And the number one best MCU hero movie that is not a part of the MCU is Spotlight. Okay, hit me with your honorable mention. I don't want to go through every single one of my honorable mentions because holy shit, this was so much fun. Like, this was so much fun, Ivana. I I have 18 (laughs) films here. This is crazy. It's crazy, but I'll go through a couple that I just like absolutely am throwing out there in the world. My number four, I, I had a hard time over Moneyball or not was Saving Private Ryan because Vin Diesel is in Saving Private Ryan and Vin Diesel is Groot. So that was that was hard. Chris Evans, you know how much I love Chris Evans. Knives Out, baby. Like that would have gone in as a contender, guaranteed. Knives Out was on my honorable mentions as well. All right. I know Paul Rudd's on your honorable mentions. Mine was forgetting Sarah Marshall. What was yours? Clueless. 
of course. Bradley Cooper, you know, voice of Rocket Raccoon. Boom. Throw him into Wedding Crashers. We got an honorable mention. Silver Linings playbook over here. <laughs> All right. And then we've got uh, Robert Downey Jr. My pick was Zodiac. I don't know what your pick was. I'm sure he's on yours. Nope. <gasps> you didn't even have one for Robert Downey Jr. No, I did not. I had two. Two for Don Cheadle. Ocean's Eleven and Out of Sight. Both Soderbergh. <laughs> oh, nice. And then we have Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen in Wind River. Paul Bettany, Margin Call. And then I started cheating. We got Chris Evans and Brie Larson in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I knew that was going to be on your list. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like in it for no time. Chris Hemsworth and Zoe Saldana in Star Trek. Zoe Saldana in Star Trek is not a cheat. But Chris Hemsworth no, not certainly is. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the, Black, yeah, Curse of the Black Pearl. Zoe Saldana is a cheat in that. She's in it for all of four seconds. And then 1917... And 12 Years a Slave with Benedict Cumberbatch. Both, I think, cheats. He probably has five minutes of screen time in each. I had The Big Sick with Kumail Nanjiani. Yes, which I, I didn't even think of using The Eternals. Oh, my God. What could I have done with Selma Hayek? From Dusk Till Dawn. I love that movie. Oh, my God. Or Desperado. Or there's a lot. There's a lot you could do with that. But this was so much fun. If you're looking for something just to occupy your mind for 25 minutes, totally go down the rabbit hole of like your favorite heroes in the MCU and what their what what their other movies are, what their other movies are, the favorites. Oh, my God. Had so, so much fun doing this. Thank you for greenlighting this topic. I know this is our break and I usually ask how things are going, Jay, but I have a confession. I don't know if I've been lisping a lot. I just did it right now, but I am, I now have Invisalign and I cannot figure out how not to lisp. I'm so I, embarrassed because I'm an actor and like I should be able to, to figure this out. Can I just say that lisp is probably the most perfect word to describe what you're doing because you can't you can't, can't lisp what without saying lisp like you, yeah it's it's perfect i haven't noticed it but you and i talk all the time so maybe i'm used to it now are you finding that in professional settings you are lisping i'm constantly lisping i feel like i can hear it and it's like driving me mad but the everyone else says they don't notice it so hopefully i don't sound too bad to our listeners i will be doing this for like six months i think i'm going to be doing this to like july okay all right yeah i my my dentist said you might want to try it and i asked the doctor dentist i guess and they were like no you actually don't need it i'm like let's we'll we'll bank it till i do and they were coming at it to like you know i'm getting a couple gaps in my teeth and i'm like is that going to be a problem for like you know bacteria getting in there and they're like no actually it's going to be better for you because it, it doesn't get lodged in there and i'm like so what's the issue <laughs> so so i think you sound wonderful and i'm sure our audience thinks so too it's app time it's been an awful long time since i think we have explored a new app i know but around the time that i was uh you know kind of changing up my diet a little bit we found one that could really help 
a lot of people, and it's called Bite Snap. And it's this thing where you take a photo of your meal, your plate, your whatever's in front of you, and it will help determine what is on that plate and how many calories are in it, what it believes are nutritional values, what it believes. I have to say, what it what it believes is. Benefits and trade-offs for sure. Oh, 100%. So we thought, yeah, let's give this the old college try, do it for a little bit of time, and then we'll have a little chat on it. So what did you find with your time with Bite Snap, Ivana? You know what? I loved it. I'm really bad at logging food in general, so I never quite got, like, it never became a habit for me. I have to admit, I kind of like fell off the wagon, but it's a free app. And honestly, it's a pretty cool service that they're giving for free because it uses AI to recognize the food on your plate. So this is not going to be for people who are precision counters. You know what I mean? Like you took a picture of a plate of food. It recognizes that something is fried rice. It recognizes that something else is salad. It might recognize something as chicken and you just kind of like pick it. It just logs generic average amounts of nutrition for these foods. It's real fast. Like that's the best benefit. And it has suggestions too. If it missed something, if it's like, Ooh, was that asparagus or string beans? It's like, Oh yeah, that was string beans. Boom. And it's like, okay, you have eight string beans. This is how many it's so true. calories it is. And it's like, that That was fantastic. However, with that said, I forgot that it was on my phone. I did it for like three days and then I just kept forgetting that it was there. Same. I would do lunch, but then I would forget at dinner time. And then the next day during lunch, I'd be like, ah, shoot, I forgot dinner. Do you think that this could be helpful to people? I mean, it certainly could be helpful to learn about your food. I think more than anything else. I totally agree. Even though databases like MyFitnessPal have like all calories of everything, I feel like it's so time consuming. So if you're going to like track, this is just a simpler way to do it. Tracking what I'm eating though is not for me, I would say. I kept forgetting. Just like you. It's too hard. It's too hard to always be remembering to make sure to take your snapshot. But I think the AI is fantastic. I think like it's sort of like Google Lens for keeping track of what you're eating. And and if you're at the very beginning stages of like doing any sort of improving your diet or changing your diet, just knowing what foods will be helpful or hurtful, really, really good. So I think BiteSnap definitely has a place in this world. It's just not gonna be on my phone. Same. This is Top Drawer TV. Today, we watched a fantasy series from Netflix. I think it's a kid's show. Do you think it's a kid's show? I think it's a a YA show. A YA show. And the show is Lock and Key. A lot happens in the pilot episode of Lock and Key. So we're going to go through the Coles notes only. The Locke family moves to their ancestral home, Key House, after the tragic passing of Rendell Locke. The dad. He was shot by a young man who wanted to know secrets about Key House. He used to flip houses with his wife, Nina, 
So she moves her family to Key House to restore and sell the old mansion. Tyler, the older brother, and Kinsey, the sister, are having a rough time and they're not happy about the move. But Bodie, the younger brother, he's pretty enthused about moving into an old creepy mansion. And this house is the creepiest of mansions. You just know there are like a million mysteries to unlock. Pardon the pun. Yeah, you're pardoned. <laughs> the pilot opens on a man who learns that Randall Locke has died, after which this man shoves a key right into his heart and then bursts into flames, torching the whole house. Three months later, the kids start school. Kinsey overhears some mean girls being mean, but also makes a new friend, a cute boy who's into movies and fans of freaking Tom Savini. Fun fact, he will show up in episode two. Tyler is welcomed by his hockey teammates and he's invited to go to a new party. But he's also dealing with PTSD from having witnessed his father's death. Meanwhile, Bodie hears a voice inside a well while exploring the property. Her name is Echo, and she is creepy AF. She tells him that Key House is a special place with special keys that have magical powers. It's not long before Bodhi finds two magical keys, one that takes you anywhere in the world and another that takes you to a mirror prison world. The magic is real, but only the kids remember it. So the grown-ups just forget completely what happened. And that's pretty much where we end episode one. So, Ivana, will you go on to episode two? I have started it, but only like a, a little bit in and then I have to stop. I, I can't believe how much this gripped me. It is so good, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. I, I, I have to say, I immediately went to episode two. And then I immediately went to episode three. And then I immediately oh, wow. went to episode four. And I was like, wow. okay, let, first of all, Bodhi is the greatest character in the world. He's super oh God, polite. He's so cute. He's so cute. He like talks down a well. He will meet the well lady, which is awesome. And he's just so, he's just like boy charm. He's like innocence in the best possible way. His siblings, man. So both of them were there during the shooting and the death and- they both have PTSD. When you find out the sister was in the house and she was hiding with Bodhi and like the shooter was there and I guess she must have seen him shoot himself. I will not give anything away that I know things, <laughs> but, uh, but it's really, really amazing. Um, the flashbacks to what happened, this, this incredibly violent altercation that killed their father, there's a lot of just... Things they're trying to get through as a family, as individuals. But then you throw this magical house in the mix. And they're trying to deal with the fact that there are keys that do magical things. Like, by far the coolest key is the anywhere in the world key. If you know where you want to go in the world, you turn the key, open the door, and now you are at that place. If that place has a door, right? Remember if that the place Eiffel Tower has bit? a door that you've seen. 
You have to have oh, seen yeah, the door. Oh, yeah, you have to have seen the door. That's right. What happens if you don't remember doors? Like, I don't remember anything. Well, I think once you get this key, you start remembering doors so that you can go, like, exploring anywhere you want. That's awesome. But you also, if you just see a picture of the door on the internet, you can go there. You can oh, open that door. Oh, I like that. That's a, you're right. That's a pretty damn cool key. The mirror prison land. Whoa. That was insane. Very intense. And that's when you discover that the grownups cannot remember once they've done something magical. Did you catch at the end of the episode where they keep talking about like how all these people went crazy living in Key House? Yes. And so I think the people go crazy because they keep losing their memories. That's right. Grown-ups can only exist in Key House for like a short amount of time or else they go crazy, which I think is kind of cool. Because this woman who has been in the well, clearly grown up. Is she even human? She's I have not no human. idea. I don't know. I don't She's know. She's not human. It's not possible that she is human. Like, did you see her the first time that they showed her and she looks like the girl from The Ring, kind of? Like, it, that vibe is there? Right. The vibe is totally there. She's got that. She's either like a magical fairy or a god or a ghost. Right. Something. She's awesome and scary as hell. Or a genie. She just wants Bodhi to go get her keys. Oh, there's more keys coming. Well, there are keys that do weird things. I'm just going to say. There's one key I'm not even going to say. Because we only asked you to watch the first episode. But I think I think that this is, is really cinematic. There's a lot really of cinematic. amazing yeah. drone shots in this that are beautiful. The kids are pretty good. Especially Bodhi. He steals your heart. The, I think like the magic just pulls you right in really quickly. Now this is based on a comic book. Guess who the comic book writer is? Who? Joe Hill, who is the son (gasps) of Stephen King. Oh, I've read a bunch of his books actually. I like his writing. He's good. Yeah, he's fantastic. So they're up to season two. I think I'm going to continue. Like I'm, I'm really into it. I really hope that it's not canceled. I I think the thing for me that I love the most is that, I don't know about you, but like it was immediately nostalgic. Like it felt like childhood. Like, and it felt like a piece of my childhood, even though I'd never seen it before or, really? or even read the comic. Yeah. Just because like I loved scary stuff and it, it is a kid's show, but then it's also like a very mature kid's show. Yeah, and that's so, why like, I think it's a young adult show. I remember reading like Stephen King or Dean Coons or like R.L. Stein, all that creepy stuff that was meant for young adults. I consumed it as a child. And so to me, I watched this and I'm like, this is what children love. It's like the scary stuff. Like it's like safe, scary. Absolutely. And it's it's also weird. Like, you're in a house and you're new to the house and all of a sudden there's these magical elements to the house, but it's also creepy because you don't know what's going to happen. And that's what makes Bodhi such a great character is because he is fearless. Like this kid will go through any door, do anything. Yeah, how the heck is he so fearless? And how did he know? He knew right away not to trust the weird smiling Bodhi in the mirror, which, by the way, 
I don't know why everybody gets so pulled in by the smiling counterparts of themselves because I've, there's nothing fucking creepier and I would never go near a me who is smiling at me like that. Yeah, if you're doing getting a sinister grin from a entity that looks exactly like you, don't go in a that mirror. Way. Don't no go that way. No fucking way. Be like, no. like that thing wants to kill you. That's the most unsettling part of the first episode, I think. Yeah. Me but too. there's a lot to unpack in that first episode. What did you think of the sister and her storyline? She doesn't seem very likable, but there's obviously reason for it. Oh, that's so first... interesting because I immediately fell in love with her. Well, I, I didn't find Tyler or Kinsey to be like the best. I just really loved Bodie and the mom is going through what she's going through. And I'm like, just trying to take it all in in that first episode, I think. But by now, I love I love all the characters now. Like, all the characters I absolutely adore. Well, I definitely loved Lock and Key. I'm going to keep going. I, I hope you do, too. And if you haven't seen it, hey, we both totally are in, and we're recommending it to you. And next time, uh, there won't be a next time, because this is the season finale, a season five finale. Well, 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 there will be a next time, there but sure just will. not not for season five. <laughs> not for season five. This is our last episode for season five. And that's our show. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next time. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please add a rating or review to your podcast app if that's available to you. The music you heard today is from bensound.com and you can check out our show notes to learn more about our friends who voiced our intros and where we secured our sound effects. You can find more episodes and information on our website. That's morethemovies.net. Or you can like us on Facebook slash morethemoviespodcast. And if you want to interact directly, you can find us both on Twitter. I'm at Jester J. I'm at It's Ivana. We'll be back soon with a new episode in season six. So make sure to subscribe if you haven't yet. So until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more.